You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. For theater lovers, the Encores series at City Center has become a beloved annual tradition. Bringing back musicals that we may not know but should, it's been responsible for breathing new life into forgotten works, revealing new dimensions to performers we thought we knew, and offering audiences the chance to see shows that may no longer be economically feasible to mount for full runs. And casting director Jay Bender has been at the center of it all since it first began in 1994. Now, he's telling tales about casting those shows. I'm your host, Mark Pikert, and you're listening to Jay Bender, A Life in Casting, Encores. I cannot begin to tell you what the Encores series has meant to me in particular, but certainly theater lovers in my in my very theater-centric circle. Oh, I'm so honored, and I'm so honored to have been a part of it from the very beginning. So what was the impetus behind mounting the first Encores season? The mastermind was the president uh, and CEO of City Center uh, in 1993, uh, and I can't remember when she retired, but Judith Dakin was the driving force, and it was her idea. And she knew Rob Fisher very well uh, from the Coffee Club Orchestra. And so I was called to a meeting by the other person that has been a champion. I was called by Jack Fertel. And we had a meeting in Ted Chapin's office, and it was Judith Dakin, Ted Chapin, Rob Fisher, Jack Fertel, and myself. And Judith explained what she wanted to do. And we all believed in it so strongly. And so eventually it got put together uh, with, as you know, a series of artistic directors. And the first season was really a learning curve. Uh, it was really uh, exciting and difficult. Um, as you know, we started with the wonderful Ira Weitzman from Lincoln Center Theater. Uh, as the original artistic director, what were the what were the shows in that first season? Well, the plan was Fiorello, uh, which was going to be the first show, which opened 
uh, city center, uh, which was the first uh, Fiorello H. LaGuardia, basically was responsible for having city center built uh, as a municipal auditorium uh, for the arts. Uh, so we opened with Fiorello. Uh, and then the next one was Allegro, which was a complete experiment from Rodgers and Hammerstein after Carousel. And then, of course, Lady in the Dark. And so uh, Ira hired Walter, uh, and we began uh, to put it together. Uh, we had done Fiorello, and uh, Walter and I decided to ask Jerry Zachs to return to the stage. And in those days, there were music stands, tuxedos, gowns, and everybody read from the book. Uh, and Jerry Zachs and Phil Bosco and Faith Prince and Donna McKechnie were in it. It was a great success. Susan Shulman was set to direct Allegro, uh, which was the only show uh, that the orchestra was in the pit uh, in all these years. And in those days, uh, they played the dance music uh, and Susan directed in a sort of documentary style uh, where... Um, there were slides from the original production, uh, and it was interesting, uh, but we were still forming the encores, and the way they're being presented were still being formed. Uh, and so uh, it was fascinating, and that was the first show that Christine Ebersole into coming back from California to do. And she and Stephen Bogardis and Jonathan Hadari uh, did Allegro. And when we got to Lady in the Dark, we had to find somebody. And so, and we were weeks away and had no adaptation. We had nothing. And I called um, Larry Carpenter, who had assisted Gower Champion and who was the artistic director of American Stage Festival. And I said, Can you do this? And he did. And we got Lady in the Dark onto the stage. Uh, very nicely. It was that was the first season, but the first season was a real learning curve, and it really wasn't until 1995 when we opened with "Call Me Madam" with Tyne Daly uh, that really encores became beloved, and we had a smash hit. What was the impetus behind bringing her on? for a limited run in this very of-its-time musical? Well, first of all, Tyne Daly is a great actress. I mean, you know, uh, Cagney and Lacey made her a star. Uh, she had done a concert version of Call Me Madam in London. And I had known about that, and she was very well-received. And I said to myself, well, you know, no one has seen her do it in America. And she's going to be a slam dunk uh, because she can sing it. Uh, she can act it. And she is a star. And she brought it all together. And what a star does is leads a company. And when in those days we had five performances only we had less rehearsal time than we have now uh they all held their books uh and in call me madam 
I would say they held their books about 95% of the time. There were moments when they did not use the book, but they still held them. Do you know what I mean? And they held them all the way really through Chicago. And Chicago was really the first of the encores, which was completely Walter's idea from beginning to end. Because the original mission was to do musicals that had been done in the past that really could not be revived in any way. And in 1996, well, Chicago hadn't been that far in the past. But Walter had an idea. And also, we were right past O.J. Simpson. Yes. And we were not, and the show was not in competition with Chorus Line. <laughs> and, and Walter had the ability to understand how it should be adapted and what could be eliminated what could be highlighted. And then uh, we got very lucky in that originally Liza Minnelli, who had done Chicago, you know, when Gwen was ill originally for Fosse, Liza Minnelli was going to play Roxy and Bibi was always going to play Velma. At the last minute, I got a call from Liza's manager saying she had booked a concert in Florida and had to pull out, which was the luckiest thing that ever happened to Chicago. Not to say that Liza would not have been good, but it would have never have transferred and it would have never, you know, been as surprising and they would have all come to see Liza. The irony was, is that Annie, God love her, hadn't been on stage in a long time. And Annie said, the show must go on and I'll do it. We didn't audition anyone except uh, Mama Morton uh, because all the people that we offered it to turned it down. And so I had loved, may she rest in peace again, Marsha Lewis and Marsha came in to audition. We didn't even audition the ensemble. Uh, <laughs> wow. Right. What I did with Annie was I chose the people that I wanted her to meet because I had done Jerome Brahman's Broadway. And so I brought in a group. I had a concept for the ensemble and I wanted to cast from the youngest, hottest dancer in New York to an older, experienced dancer that had worked for Fosse it was magic. I will never forget the very first performance uh, with Annie and Bibi and Jimmy Norton uh, and Joel Gray uh, that and Marsha. The roof came off City Center. I mean, I've never seen anything like it in my life. And fortunately, uh, Fran and Weisler and Barry Weisler attended, I think, the Saturday matinee, if I'm not mistaken. And the rest is history. It's still running. Yes. 
you know, and um, it's a phenomenon, uh, you know, all over the world. And, you know, we were very lucky the timing was right because of OJ. And also, Walter had tempered the cynicism that was very, very uh, off-putting to a lot of people during the original production because we weren't in that place yet as brilliant as Fosse's original production was. And so we had become a bit more cynical and we had had a sense of humor about our cynicism in this country and we had also had OJ. And so it became very relevant. And also, because of William Ivy Long's collaboration with Walter, William created, as he had for nine, a completely contemporary look. With the Encore series over the years, how many of the conversations regarding principal roles are offers versus auditioning? Well, it's very interesting. Um, it really depended on the artistic director. Uh, with Walter, in the two years Walter um, was the artistic director, we did virtually no auditioning whatsoever. Um, even because the cast were larger, and so in the beginning, the singers sang and the dancers danced just the way they did in old-fashioned musicals. So we only auditioned the singers for Rob Fisher and we offered the dancers because don't forget, I mean, as far as call me madam, that was the first show that Kathleen Marshall actually, you know, choreographed in New York. Uh, and, um, you know, Chris Chadman had done Fiorello. Uh, so, you know, we really didn't audition dancers. Uh, we only auditioned singers and only we only auditioned principals if we were stuck. When Kathleen, you know, uh, assumed the artistic directorship, again, you know, Kathleen and Rob Fisher and I would sit down and we would determine who we wanted to offer it to and who we felt would be excellent. And we made the offers. Um, it really wasn't until Jack became our artistic director that, and also by then, the sh productions had really begun to grow. They were really becoming far more fully produced. There, John Lee uh, was doing fantastic suggestive scenery. They were fully costumed. We were out of um, tuxedos and gowns. Uh, and we were into costumes. Everything was fully choreographed. There was a separate singing ensemble and there was a separate dancing ensemble. The other encore that was very special for me in so many ways was Promises, Promises, uh, because it involved Neil. And Neil had given me proxy because Neil you know, wanted to make sure that he had approval. And Kathleen was the artistic director and Rob Robbie directed and choreographed it. And that collaboration was magical. I had suggested Marty Short because of Goodbye Girl. Robbie wasn't completely sure, but he trusted me. Carrie O'Malley uh, was a terrific friend. Uh, Terry Mann, uh, you know, played uh, the 
uh, Fred McMurray part from the film. Uh, and uh, we were so lucky uh, in that Neil and uh, how David wanted to put back a number for the secretary and that was cut out of town. And Jennifer Lewis, who I was a huge fan of. Mm. And so there's one of the few times when a new number was put into an existing encores. Uh, and that was a duet between Carrie O'Malley and Jennifer Lewis, which stopped the show. And it also gave us the opportunity to have Jennifer Lewis and Rob Marshall's work was amazing. And Baranski, listen, Baranski and Marty Short together uh, was in one of the funniest scenes that Neil's ever written, was pure magic. And Neil got there late. Uh, he didn't come for rehearsals, but he came, I think, the day before dress rehearsal. And we were still long. And Neil said to Robbie, wait a second, I need to cut about 25 minutes from this. So Neil took the script, sat on the steps leading to the mezzanine uh, of City Center, and in about 10 minutes and a red pencil, cut exact the exact amount of time and handed the script back to Robbie. Wow. Yeah. It was magic. It's a testament to you as well that Baranski did this because she was still in California well, filming Sybil, right? Well, you know, I don't remember, but Baranski, listen, here's the thing. I knew Marty and Baranski would say yes without even asking them because of their relationship with Neil. And they loved Neil, truly loved him. So that was easy. You know, uh, casting that was almost instant. What were the hardest encores to cast? Because you, as the encore series progressed, you came up against some uh, iconic casts from, from the originals. I think the one that frightened me, there were several, but Follies, directed brilliantly, I must say, by Casey Nicolau. I mean, brilliantly. And this is uh, after Paper Mill and after the Broadway revival, Casey understood it thoroughly. And it was very difficult because I had so much to live up to. Because I had seen the original production of Follies several times. Uh, and we were just damn lucky that Victor Garber, we had asked to do it. We waited for Victor for about a month because whether his pilot was going to get picked up, I'll never forget the wait. Do you know what I mean? But, you know, <laughs> the, we're, we were at a studio auditioning uh, and I got the phone call from uh, Victor's uh, manager saying the pilot's not picked up, he's doing it. We always knew it was going to be Vicki Clark. Uh, we always knew it was going to be Donna. And we always knew it was going to be Michael McGraw. We auditioned for the younger ones. Uh, and God love Mark Sendroff. Um, when we got into the older babes, I had had the idea of Mimi Hines because I had originally seen Mimi Hines replace 
Barbara Streisand in Funny Girl. I called and uh, Casey really didn't know who Mimi Hines was. And so I called Mark Sandroff, uh, who is close to Mimi Hines, and Mark sent me and sent Casey a video of Mimi Hines in Florida, very recently doing her club act, God knows where. So Casey took one look at that, and suddenly we had Broadway Baby. Uh, Joanne Worley uh, was a slam dunk. Uh, I called, you know, Casey loved the idea, and I called Joanne, and she said, listen, I want to do this, but I want to let you know right now, I do not tap. So I, <laughs> so I, so I called Casey, and I said, listen, she wants to do it, but she doesn't tap. And he said, don't worry about it. And if you watch on YouTube, Casey's version of Who's That Woman? He does it so brilliantly in the time he had. They're not all on stage all the time the way they were originally and the way they have been in every other production. He breaks it up into he starts with everybody. She leaves. He then has certain sections with the people like Dottie Stanley, you know, and, you know, and people that could really tap and he merges them together and you never are aware that there's not everybody on the stage and you're never aware that Joanna's left or that she comes back. And so that was part of Casey's genius. Um, and it was magical. I was very, you know, uh, excited about anyone can whistle all it's so funny so many of these are casey's shows angela lansbury not that anyone saw it if in eight performances as arthur lawrence said if all the people that claim that they had seen the original anyone can whistle it would be running today but donna murphy was a no-brainer uh, sutton foster you know had done drowsy for casey that was a no-brainer uh i had asked raul to do it uh, which was a no-brainer. We I made lists for uh, the henchmen, uh, and uh, Casey chose who he wanted, uh, the fabulous Edward Hibbert. Other things that were very daunting for me, Grand Hotel was incredibly daunting. Again, I had worked with Tommy Toon on a show that never came in. Um, I loved Tommy. We had done a workshop of Easter Parade, and we had done a show at the Goodman that never came in. The responsibility of Michael Cheater. I was going to say that is one of, when you talk about coming up against the legacy of iconic performances, that is one of the Tony's performances that is most frequently cited as the greatest of all time. Well, you know, and, and, you know, David James Carroll, may he rest in peace. Uh, I mean, Jane Krakowski. I mean, uh, Lillian Montevecchi. I mean, it was, and I, Karen Akers, it was an iconic cast of its day. And what I did was we went through a lot of very careful casting uh, for uh David James Carroll and Brent Barrett's role very carefully and James Snyder came in and just na nailed it out of the park out of the park 
and um, we had originally cast um, one Flemshin, and then we had to go to another Flemshin who turned out to be brilliant. And but the thing I had in my mind from the very beginning was Brandon Uranowitz mm-hmm. uh, playing Michael Jeter's role because I knew that Brandon had every single capability and sensibility to play this role. And I knew that he was transformational. Uh, and while he might in real life have been a bit young, uh, Mike Nichols said one thing to me many years ago. I was concerned that Mark Nelson was too young to play opposite Christine Baranski in Rumors. And Mike Nichols said, is he good? I said, he's terrific. He said, Jay, trust me, if he's good, the audience will believe that he's the right age for Christine Baranski. And don't worry about it. So if an actor is really good, the audience will believe what Ever the rules that you set are. And when Brandon was in my head and he, they weren't sure how well he moved. I knew he moved very well. He came in because, you know, when an actor really wants something, they'll audition. Uh, and he came in and he auditioned uh, and he moved beautifully and we cast Brandon and Josh had worked with Natasha Diaz uh, and got, along and understood Natasha uh, deeply and they had a great trust with each other and Natasha was the right answer to play uh, Karen Aker's part. Well, that's, I wanted to, as you're talking about Brandon Uranowitz, I wanted to ask, how do you navigate the line between finding the perfect performer who is not a name for an encore show versus maybe the show is lesser known. And so in order to maintain momentum with it or draw up interest, you, you need to turn to someone who's maybe a little bit better known. Well, we were really lucky, you know, until really, you know, in the mid two thousands, we didn't need names. The, the, the series sold itself and we didn't think about that and we didn't worry about it. Uh, if there, you know, if there was a name that presented themselves as the best choice and they wanted to do it, we did it, you know, but as the theater and the world changed, you know, but the good news is for the mo- for really the entire series, I've hired and we've hired theater actors because even when we went to more performances and a longer rehearsal period, if you're not a stage actor, you can't do this. This is, as Walter used to say, this is summer stock with the A-team. I don't want to forget one of the great, great contributors to the success of this uh, series was David Ives. David Ives, for many years, did the concert adaptations. Uh, we were also very lucky to be blessed with John Weidman and John Guare and Jack Fertel. But David really... Um, was so important to trimming down these musicals. And what was fascinating about each one, the ones that weren't hits could play like hits because all the excess was cut. 
when we went to do Little Me, which made me very nervous because, you know, Sid Caesar playing, you know, seven roles, you know, well, obviously it's Kristen Borle. Yes, but what I wanted to talk about as well, and you just gave me a perfect segue, so thank you for that. There are a handful of performers that I think of <clears throat> when I think of the best of encores. And one of them is Rachel York. Ah. And in, in particular, what I most wanted to d- discuss with you was the production of Gentlemen Prefer Blondes starring Megan Hilty in one of the great musical comedy performances that not enough people saw that should have transferred. But and the revelation in that production was Rachel York as Dorothy. It was, for my money, it was a no-brainer. And for John Rando's money, it was a no-brainer. John had done a workshop years ago with Rachel, uh, so he knew her. Uh, she came in, she auditioned, and she was absolute dynamite. The irony is is that John and Jack weren't really familiar with Megan Hilty. And she was, as far as I was concerned, she was the only person uh, that would be able to not be Marilyn, even though she was playing Marilyn in a way uh, in Smash, and not be Carol Channing, but create and so fortunately she wanted to do it i called her agent and i said would she have lunch and she had lunch with john rando and jack Vito and myself and they fell in love and megan said yes and once i knew i had megan i had to find the right pairing i had to find the right woman and rachel was the person that could play the second part and not feel that she was the heir and the spare as it were (laughs) yes yes what were the other performers that you were most proud to get into these classic shows santino i mean santino in 1776 which i really do want to touch on to ask gary hines to do a modern dress version of 1776 was just a great choice, and it took forever to cast. Yeah, it's it's a big show. Well, it's a big show, and it's a difficult show. And, you know, Gary was only here for a very short amount of time. We did, and thank God for technology, we did endless tape auditions. Endless, endless, endless. And But we were so incredibly lucky to gather that cast, but Santino uh, and Bryce. Uh, Bryce Pinkham? Yes. Every single person in that cast was spot on. And the fact that it worked in modern dress just knocked me over. I was completely surprised. I mean, and the fact that John Lee Beatty Another, without John Lee, you know, uh, he created encores and John Lee's set um, that was backed with mirrors, the final moment, you know, which is usually the scrim bleeding through and you've got the recreation of the exact, you know, photograph, you know, the exact etching of the signers, which, you know, is 
you know, sends chills up and down your spine. Well, we couldn't do that at Encores, and it was modern dress. But to then reflect them all in that pose in the mirror was even in a, in this day and age even more effective. I mean, that was one of the great great joys. I have one specific show that I want to discuss because I can only imagine how much fun it was to make these asks. And that is the review, Hey, Look Me Over, where you got to bring in performers to sing the hell out of a bunch of great 11 o'clock numbers. That was a joy. It was an absolute joy. Uh, and it was, it was easy. We just, you know, went through lists. And we just picked the very best people. Uh, and we had the greatest time. And Vanessa's agent called me and said she wants to participate. Uh, you know, and so we added Jamaica. And it was, it was challenging and fun. And I think that, you know, we, in the main, were pretty damn successful. Well, and the revelation from that show, I think for me and for a lot of people, was Alexander Sosha banishing all memories of Bernadette Peters as Mabel Normand. Well, that's why we got the rights to do Mac and Mabel, because the estates saw that production and they gave us the rights if Alex and Douglas would play it. Oh, wow. I did not know that. Yeah, and that was thrilling. So many of these shows on their different levels require smart actors. I mean, Can Can is not, you know, uh, a Pulitzer Prize winning musical by any stretch of the imagination. But Patti Lapone took that part by the scruff of the neck and carried that show in a red dress as if it were the greatest part and, you know, ever written for a female. I mean, it was amazing. All right, Jack Viertel, thank you so much for chatting with us. Having spoken to Jay as much as I have, what I most want to know from you, working with him for so many years at Encores, what is it like to be in an audition room watching Jay Bender work? Um, it, it's uh, He's very intense. And... Uh, uh, and, and quite private and, and focused while someone is auditioning. And I think sets a good example for other, you know, the, 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 the deeper we've gone into this modern world, the more people are inclined to be checking their messages and, uh, until the last minute. And in some cases, even while someone's auditioning, Jay is focused. Jay is, Jay has got his eyes and his ears entirely on that person who's performing I think it's partly a professional thing, and I think it's partly a genuine love of performers. And in addition to that, a pure understanding of how difficult it is to audition, how potentially disappointing or, you know, how much you think you didn't do your best job or whatever. Jay is there for the performer. Ultimately, how many encore shows have the two of you worked on together? Um, however, however many, well, yeah, I really started 20 years ago, so it would have been officially 60 encores, three uh, Summer Stars productions, and a couple of, a few galas, but we didn't do the last two encores this year because of, uh, of COVID-19. So it's, it's, it's something over 60. Just a casual 60 productions. Uh, what has what your working relationship been like as you, as you assemble these casts? 
Oh, it's been it's been very enjoyable uh, and uh, very chatty. Very lots of the thing about Jay and encores to me. The essential thing about Jay and encores is Jay knows these shows backwards and forwards. And if he doesn't know the show backwards and forwards, he knows eight other shows that were produced during that same season. So, in terms of style, in terms of being able to to take the audience on a time machine. He's got that, and he knows which performers uh, um, have that in their bones and which ones really don't, however wonderful they may be at doing other things. And I think he has, as much or more than anyone, steered the ship toward keeping our keeping our uh, productions in line with the original work. And I don't think there's anyone else who could do that in that way. Thank you, Jack. I mean, you know, Jay when someone's going to deliver a certain kind of number, you know, a, 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 a second act showstopper from 1950 uh, in a way that the 1950 audience would have gone berserk over. And somehow that translates to our audience and they, and they, and the same thing happens. Jay, as someone who knows musical theater history as, as well and as deeply as you do, were there seasons where you suggested shows to Jack? Were the two of you in communication about what the season would be comprised of? Jack has been terrific in that we always discuss Jack between the collaboration between Rob Berman, uh, Jack, and myself. Jack always calls me, and he always confers with Rob. Uh, Rob is uh, essential because you know it's part of uh, the reason that Jack chooses the shows. But once the shows are chosen, Jack and I have very, you know. Uh, often, you know, have several conversations, uh, throwing back ideas at one another and concepts and what the characters are about and what, you know, Jack uh, wants to achieve, what the director wants to achieve. I mean, you know, and that's the joy of our collaboration. Now, don't forget, Jack and I go way back uh, to not only the beginnings of Encores, but we've also done several Broadway shows together. So it's, it's again one of the guiding forces of my career. I mean, one of the, one of the uh, sort of sparked moments in, in our collaboration, I think, was that Jay called me uh, at some point and said, you know, if Patti Lapone wants to do Can Can, we should do Can Can. If she doesn't want to do Can Can, we shouldn't do Can Can. This is <laughs> frankly not a good enough show, uh, but it will be with her in it. And I thought, what a great way to think about something, you know. And so I called Patty's agent and, and said those very words. I probably took credit for them as well. Um, <laughs> and, and Patty said, she, she, looked, she looked at the score and she said, yeah, I'd love to do this part. And she tore the place apart because it was just perfect casting in an imperfect show. Well, Jack, I wanted to ask, as someone who's worked this many, low these many years with Jay, and especially with encores, which often reveals a different side to a performer than what we might expect from them. Who were the performers that Jay brought in that you thought, I don't know, and then ultimately they blew you away? <laughs> we've we've both had, we have a we have a uh, we we have a slightly private language about that uh, <laughs> because because there are performers that each of us have not particularly responded to in other circumstances, but the other one has. And so Jay has said, I mean, I, I don't feel comfortable naming names, but Jay has said, no, you know, she can really do this. And I've said, I don't know. I didn't like her in such and such, you know, and, and uh, it's gone both ways. We've surprised each other in, in some ways. 
Jack right. taught me the best expression, and I've used it ever since. Uh, choose your hill to die on. Yeah, yeah. There, 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 there are certain there are certain fights that aren't worth winning, um, and sometimes they've been situations where both of us have felt. Well, this isn't really the right performer for this role, but you know, it's not worth fighting. It's not that big a role, or for whatever reason, it's just, we have we have bigger fish to fry on this show. And that performer has turned out to be fantastic in the show. So, um, you know, we we've both been geniuses and idiots at the same time. <laughs> uh, well, I think my only other question is: Is there a show, or maybe a handful of shows, that you? can point to that say this is this is as close to perfect as close to a per- perfect fulfillment of the mission statement of encores as we could get i think that follies was as close to perfection as we can get anyone can whistle i think that i was incredibly proud as i know you were of yeah. superman i think that we were incredibly proud of little me yeah I, I think that's true, and it but it it points to some, you know the show business expression is casting is everything, but uh, I think of it backwards also, which is everything is casting. Choosing a director is casting, choosing designers is casting, and choosing a casting director is casting. So uh, you know what what Jay has brought to this is that absolute commitment. To the to to the, the loyalty to have incandescent performers, but ones who are are right for that particular show in that particular era, as I said, and so it's 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 been that combination. I would mention one other show, which is a show we really put together out of whole cloth, which is called Porter's The New Yorkers, where we right. didn't have a star in it. There were no stars in it, but it was so perfectly cast and so perfectly brought off by John Rando, the director. Uh, that it, it lit up audience, a show they had never heard of, lit up an audience completely. They were on their feet screaming at the end. And uh, it, it's a tribute to knowing exactly who those crazy 1930s heiresses and bootleggers and gangsters are and being able to find the perfect actors to play them, even though none of them, you know, was someone whose name you would put above a marquee, you know, on a marquee. Well, all I can say is Jack, I cannot thank you enough for the opportunities that you have given me and the collaboration that we have had. Thank you for taking the chances and thank you for the trust. And and now, you know, we've added a chapter to everything you wanted to know about casting encores, but we're afraid <laughs> to ask. Well, so, Jay, the thanks is returned and in, in double and triple fold because I couldn't have done this without you, and you know no. I couldn't have done it without you. And, 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 and likewise. This is Jay Binder, A Life in Casting, a podcast from RWS Entertainment Group and Binder Casting in association with the Broadway Podcast Network. Starring Jay Bender, hosted by Mark Pikert. Produced and directed by Mark Brandon and Kyle Coker. With executive producer Ryan Stana. Consulting producers Joe Christopher and Abby Buell. Artwork by Justin Squiggs Robertson. Marketing concept by Kevin Lau. Marketing content by Amy Cannon. Edited by Derek Gunther. And a special thanks to guest star Jack Viertel. Hey, 
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChapaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChapaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.